Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would have compassion on us. We ask that your love would be at our end and at our beginning. We ask that we would live in love and love would be the thing that marks us as your people. Fill us with your love, that love that is unending, that love that is indiscriminating, that love which is beautiful and gracious and kind. Help us to understand what your love means, because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to try and show you um, another clip um, that, uh, see if this one goes any better than the last time. What you need to know before you see it is the song being sung is Happy Birthday. That's all you really need to know, okay? Because you have a lot of questions as to what's going on, but that's all I want to say to you. The song is a Happy Birthday song. celebrate the birthdays of any bus drivers that we have. Um, 
Through this next few weeks, we are looking at the Gospel of Luke, where Luke's emphasis is on compassion. The stories that Jesus tells in Luke's Gospel, and Luke's shaping and recording of them, together help us better understand Jesus and the heart of Jesus' Gospel, which is a compassionate one. We will see Jesus interested in the poor, Jesus and that age engaging particularly with women. We will see the Holy Spirit mentioned, but on every page... There is grace and compassion is what fuels Jesus' ministry and his life. None better exemplified than today by us looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. We live in an age where hospitality is a contentious issue. In our election, immigration was the word that the politicians didn't mention. Well, somebody did and got it horribly wrong. But it was the one that people were speaking about and the concern, hospitality for us in our lives, hospitality in our church. We have this space now on Monday to Fridays, this, this cafe space, because at a church we want to open our doors and say, church is not just simply Sundays and religious words. It's got to be more than that. We want to open the doors of our church to everyone and say, come in, be accepted, no welcome, no love. I'm grateful and excited by the way the project has started. I do hope that we can do that. We, serving coffee is, is, is fantastic. I do hope and pray that the space becomes a place of, of healing, of reconciliation, where love is shared. And for those in the team feel commissioned to be part of something like that. Isaiah 58. Have you heard about it? We do that in this church. It's a practical way of showing God's love in action. John, our, John Sanders, our youth worker, was sharing with us on Tuesday that they went, they were asked by somebody in the community to come and do, do their garden for them. That's what we do. We say to people, we put it out in the crier, if you want some decorating done or some gardening, if it gets too technical, John gets worried. If it gets kind of too personal and specific, but it's an offer. If we can help you practically, give us a try. We would like to help you. And John was saying on the Friday, um, on the Tuesday, they went to a woman's house And she wanted her garden done, and it transpired that she was suffering from cancer. And because of that, she'd have to sell the house. She was really moved by having John and the guys come and do some work, because her garden was important to her, and she couldn't now look after it the way she wanted to. It was fantastic to be able to do something for someone like that. So I'd like us, perhaps this morning, just to wrestle a little bit more with this very familiar story, the Good Samaritan. It's one of the stories in the Bible, though, that the key parts of the Bible, we do need to keep coming back to. How easily we forget all that's involved in some of these stories. And I think it is one of the key stories about what love means, what compassion's about, It will challenge us again. And so I invite you to pick up the Bible. If you allow me for a few minutes, just to let's look at the story again. Simply look at the story and think about our lives together and what compassion means. And it doesn't be a random act of kindness, good as they are. But our desire, my desire is that love is the first thing. Compassion underpins my way of life and not just is something added on occasionally when I'm in a good humor. Let's look at again the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10. You will see that it's set within a series of questions. Jesus is asked by a lawyer 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the actual translation. We have a, a simpler reading of it in our Bibles that's keen for people to hear. Very interesting, the verbs in that. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good starter for 10 in the, in the Jewish time in terms of discussion as to where you go when someone gives a reply to that. He's probably asking Jesus, having heard the reply of several other teachers, so you, Jesus, what do you say? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus could have said two things. He could have taken the line of Isaiah 62, where the people of Israel are reminded that they can do nothing and that all that they have is given by a gift of God. Or in Psalm 14, following on of that, to walk in God's commandments is righteousness. That's Psalm 14. And that's the rabbinic line that Jesus takes. He takes that line of saying, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Yes, you must live in a certain way. It is about doing. And then that invites the next question. Well, if it's about doing, how do I do it? What does it mean in practice? To, to do this. And so who is my neighbor becomes the key question. I want to show you a picture. Um, can someone click on to? And again. Down here on, the, on your left is the Jericho Road from Jerusalem. It even starts, I took that when I was in sabbatical last year. Um, and even there, you can see how severe the, the, the route is. It drops 3,600 feet within 17 miles. This is on the ed, ed, outskirts of Jerusalem before it gets into the desert. It was been renowned through history as being a dangerous and desert road in which people have had robbers attack them and, and the like. The story takes place on the Jericho Road. Click on again. Oh, no, click back then, sorry. There we go. The man, now this is interesting. Again, for understanding the story, we need to understand that the man is stripped and lying, bleeding, half conscious. Because in Middle Eastern culture, you would look at someone and know who they were by what they were wearing and what language they were speaking. In our story, it's very clever. The person has been stripped naked and is lying, half dying, cannot move, cannot speak. So any of the people approaching them wouldn't know where they come from, but from a distance. They wouldn't know. They'd have to come a lot closer to engage with this person. And as it happened, that's a lovely kind of incidental way that Luke puts it, knowing the story and writing it. As it happened, it was a Monday morning. He was busy, whatever. As it happened, you take your kind of reading of as it happened. As it happened, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. Hard for us to really appreciate how important in that day and age purity was, ritual purity for the Jews, and certainly for the priest. He was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, probably to do another service, to do some religious actions. To become defiled was out of the question. There's no way, because his job was to be pure before God on behalf of other people. So the idea of touching a dying person, touching somebody that, there's no way he could think about that. And in a split second, how quickly you read that sentence. 
A priest happened down that road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. In our lives, how often we just get a split second to react, a couple of seconds. We make a decision. He passed on the other side. Besides the priest, that I've already justified him, he's got to maintain being a priest. He's got a job to do. They're waiting for him. He might be late. He doesn't want to get associated with people that might be, he later might be misinterpreted as to what he's doing. Better to keep yourself clean. Keep yourself clear of these complications. I've got enough to think about. I can't be doing with this stuff as well. I've got a job to do down there. I'm going there. Keep yourself clean. Do nothing about it. Jesus says later, he who clings on to their life will lose it. But he who gives their life will gain eternal life. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place. Now in our Bibles that we've got, the word's missed out. But the word's likewise, or so too in other translations. Um, I'm aware that we're into biblical interpretation here and um, that we've heard from Darren earlier. So if you want more detail on the text, I'm sure Darren could give you a lot more than what I could this morning. But the likewise is interesting. If just before you read the Levite bit, it seems as if likewise, so too a Levite came, indicates that the Levite might well have seen the priest. Might well have seen. Think of it, a desert road, desert it's open. You might well see some. If you hadn't seen him, there's another good chance he'd have seen the tracks of the priest ahead of him. And then when he got to the place, he knew that the priest had not gone any nearer than the tracks showed him. Now, if he, a Levite, a mere Levite, would question the interpretation of a priest, oof, that's a pretty bold thing to do. How dare you? How dare you? Besides, he was a Levite who probably didn't have a horse. He was on foot. And on foot, how could he help? What did he have on him? I don't have, if I had my horse, I could really help. I could do stuff, but I don't have any stuff to do. And besides, this is not a good place to stop when you're on foot. With all the notorious robbers and that happened here recently, he passes on on the other side. But a Samaritan, a traveler, Probably a trader, a middle-class trader with, with a few horses. And look at the way that Luke ratches up the story. He came to the place. All three of them did that. He saw the man. The Levite did that as well. But this time, the Samaritan felt compassion for him, stopped and went to him. Just to remind you, you know that Samaritans are despised by Jews. It's well in the Gospels. That's, but at the time of Jesus, can I remind you, they'd completely blown it by taking some bones into the outer courts of the temple. So all the Jews weren't just angered by them. They were completely furious and irritated. It's like, just hit the, hit the headlines. Bones found in the temple. Now what Samaritan had brought them in? Oh, the Jews would be furious. So for at this time, Jesus to utter the word, a Samaritan, completely blows the minds of his hearers. It wasn't what they were expecting. The Samaritan comes to the man, stops, allows his day to be upset by what he sees. He sees, first of all. Then he allows himself, his day to be changed by what he sees. 
and we read he had pity. That's what our translation says. He had compassion. There's that Luke's word again, that compassion that means he gets off his horse. Compassion means getting down and standing with the people that are suffering. That's what compassion is. Identification with those that are weak and suffering. We don't often stop long enough to see the situation. And then when we do, are we moved to get off our horse, come out of our car, whatever it is. We so often can observe things from afar. And so the Samaritan's actions are a fantastic illustration of what compassion means. If we list them, we go on, I think now, Boyd. Here we go. Look at the list as we just keep firing them. The Samaritan went to him. He bound his wounds. He poured oil in his wounds. He poured wine in his wounds. He put him on his beast. He took him to the innkeeper. He asked the innkeeper to take care of him. He asked the innkeeper to keep track of the victim's bills. He asked the innkeeper to trust the Samaritan. He promised that he would come back and see his victim. To bind up his wounds. That was the first thing he did. And in some ways it rubs salt into what's been not done already. Clearly the man is bleeding to death. He touched the blood. He got himself mucky. He got himself defiled because he bound up the wounds. It's interesting there's resonances in Hosea 6 of what God does for us. The first thing that Hosea says that God does for us is bind up our wounds in Hosea 6. Where we're bleeding and dying, we read in Hosea 6, God's healing actions are to bind us up, to revive us, to raise us up. The Good Samaritan gives first aid with oil and wine. Now again, these elements are chosen because they are elements for worship, oil and wine. The Samaritan probably had them with him because he himself might have been going somewhere to worship. In some ways, it was a chancy thing to do for some people to take the very elements of worship and use them with a Samaritan. He was taking religious things and using them in in a way that wasn't meant to be used. Some people would say, what about a tithe? Before you do that, you need to pay a tithe and have a certain prayer before you use those objects. But it's interesting that we read that what he does is pour oil and wine on the man's wounds. Something that we might forget is that the the man lying dying, the Jew lying dying, might have been angry when he found out that it was a Samaritan who helped him. And his family might have not being grateful once he was well again. He might have, because for a Samaritan to pour oil and wine on a Jew was expressly disallowed under certain Jewish ritual law. The man goes further than so the Samaritan puts him on his own horse, puts him in the place where he was sitting. Sitting. Sitting in your driver's seat. Who did you last? When did you last let someone sit in there? When did you last someone let someone sleep in your bed? Maybe it's a comparison. And then the trader leads the man as if he is the servant to the inn. This is again where the story ratchets up in terms of the remarkable compassion shown. We tend to think that this story involves a dangerous road. It is a dangerous road. But for the Samaritan taking 
the wounded man to the community of Jericho, which is probably what he did, and to the inn, meant that his identity was disclosed also. And can you imagine the state of the inn as they both approach? And suddenly people are looking and saying, I don't know, who's this? What, what's going on? The man again puts his life, the Good Samaritan, in mortal danger because of his association with the wounded man. And for people's possible misinterpretation of what's gone on, it was well possible for Jews at that inn to have said, hey, did you cause that? And how quickly, as you know, people jump to the wrong conclusion in these kind of circumstances. Many people think it was even more dangerous for the Samaritan to take him to the inn than it was to even stop on the road. And then when he does that, he doesn't just sort of go, oh, there you go, that's great, fine, right, now I've got, well in that case, looking at the time now, that probably means that I'm going to have got a bit, I'm going to be a bit late, but I'll, I'll be okay if I go via this way. You know what I mean? He doesn't do that. We read the Good Samaritan spends the night with the wounded man. He gives up his day for the wounded man. And in the morning he says, I will pay whatever's necessary. He says that because the innkeepers in those days were, had a bit of a dodgy reputation. And so he says, I'll pay up front now so that whatever he needs is sorted. What an example to us of a demonstration of compassion, of practical love, of God's love. I'm going to click on. Oh, and that one. Putting him on his own animal. I want to finish with one question for us. Where is the Jericho Road for us? See, I think the Jericho Road can symbolize human suffering wherever we are. Maybe it's the 17 rooms in the hospital in Gaza that are struggling for getting supplies through and have many people that are in desperate need in that place. I think too of the woman in Ox Gangs, it's a high-rise block of flats, I think they've, they've demolished them now, but she's in the 17th floor. She's a lonely lady. Maybe it's the 17 miles that goes right to the center of Calcutta, through Calcutta. The Jericho Road, maybe it's the 17 years that your friend has been looking after their relative who's suffering from dementia. The Jericho Road symbolizes where their people have lost dignity, where people have, are oppressed, people are suffering. Where is your Jericho Road? We are all on the Jericho Road. And the parable says, we become the neighbor to whoever we encounter on the Jericho Road. May God give us grace. May God give us a heart of compassion and love. May God give us eyes that see. Give us a compassion that stops and looks and a heart that acts. But God, this is impossible for us alone. Give us your Holy Spirit. Give us your love that we might begin to see and act in this way.